Our lesson today comes from the prophet Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, verse 1 and verses 4 through 7. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into, into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Each of us is acquainted with grief and its effects upon our lives. I learned early in my life, I was 13 years of age, and my mother came down with an illness that stayed with her for several weeks. Her symptoms, she couldn't get out of bed. She ached all over. She had no appetite. Uh, she wasn't interested in anything. We didn't understand it at the time. She went from doctor to doctor and they couldn't help her. But she was depressed. It was a Saturday morning. We were sitting around having breakfast. My mother was still in bed when my sister said the words. You know, mama hasn't felt herself ever since Laddie died. Laddie was our Sheltie dog who had been with us since I was a toddler. He had recently died, and my mother grew ill. I saw the proverbial light bulb go off over my daddy's head. He got up from the breakfast table. He made a few phone calls. 
He came back to me and he said, hold the fort down, I'll be back mid-afternoon. By mid-afternoon, my mother had gotten out of bed. She made her way to the sofa in the den. I can still see her to this day, sitting there in her bathrobe with her head in her hands. And my daddy walked into the den and pulled from behind his back a little shelty puppy. He put it in her lap and she lit up like a Christmas tree. And from that moment forward, she got better and better and better. She named the little puppy Prince. Our minister named him Oral Roberts. We all are acquainted with the effects that grief can have upon us. And during these first few weeks of the new year, we have been thinking about how our faith can help us cope with the stresses and anxieties of our life. I've been pushing us to go a little deeper to see the root cause of the stress and the anxiety and how our faith can help us cope with that. And we have already discussed regret, loneliness, a sense of hopelessness, and today we come and face grief. How can our faith help us cope with the griefs that inevitably come into our lives? Well, that brings us to our scripture lesson. The year was 587 B.C. King Nebuchadnezzar II had sent his army into Judea and they had laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. They had torn down the walls surrounding the city and they destroyed the temple built by King Solomon. To add insult to injury, many of the Judean leaders were carted off in captivity to Babylon, the capital city of the Babylonian Empire. And a dark cloud of depression began to come over the people of Israel. How could it not? They had lost everything. They had seen loved ones die. They had seen their houses burned their central place of worship destroyed. And now they've been carted off into slavery in a foreign land. How can they continue to serve the Lord? They are paralyzed by grief. And the prophet Jeremiah, who remained in Jerusalem, wrote them a letter encouraging them, telling them this is how you need to cope in the days to come. He instructs them, build houses for yourselves. Plant gardens and eat the fruit of the gardens. Marry and have children. Give your children in marriage so that they can have children. Work for the benefit of this new land in which you find yourself in exile and pray to the Lord. There are three observations I want to make about uh, Jeremiah's encouragement to the people. The first is, it seems to me that he is saying to them, 
Cling to your loved ones. He says to them, get married, have children, give your children in marriage. Allow them to multiply in this land so that you will have an extended family. I think that a lot of people cope with grief by withdrawing. They just pull away from others. And we see an example of that in the scriptures uh, with Thomas, Jesus' disciple. The disciples have witnessed Jesus' death upon the cross. They have gone and hidden out in an upper room with the doors locked. And on Easter night, Jesus appears in the midst with them and says, Peace be unto you. It's an incredible scene, a comforting scene in the midst of grief. But Thomas wasn't there. Maybe Thomas dealt with grief in a different way. He wanted to be by himself. He wanted to pull away. Maybe he was fed up with the other disciples, tired of hearing their words about Jesus' death on the cross. Or maybe he was having a crisis of faith. He had put his faith in Christ He had believed that God was working through Jesus to bring the kingdom on earth, and now Jesus had died. His hopes had been dashed, and he was ready to give up on God, give up on all religion. My hopes have died. We are not told why he wasn't there. The Gospels merely say he was absent. I think that Thomas missed out on some of the, one of the most comforting experiences that anyone could have, experiencing the presence of Jesus in his midst, in the midst of his grief. There's a book that I have treasured through the years, uh, written by Joseph Bailey. It's entitled, A View from the Hearse. I want to share a passage that I've kept with me all these years. Don't try to prove anything to a survivor. An arm about the shoulder, a firm grip of the hand, a kiss. These are the proofs that grief needs, not logical reasoning. I was sitting torn by grief. Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, and hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly, And he said things I knew were true. I was unmoved except to wish he would go away. He finally did. Another came and sat beside me. He didn't talk. He didn't ask leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour or more, listened when I spoke, answered briefly, prayed simply, and left. I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go. Jeremiah understands that we are created for relationships with one another. And I have a saying I love to say that when you have, when you are surrounded by people who love you unconditionally, they have a way of multiplying your joys and dividing your sorrows. Jeremiah understands that. And he encourages 
The people in exile, do not withdraw. Lean into your relationship with your loved ones. That is where you will find comfort. And that's the first observation. He also suggests to them that they should cling to reality. He says, build houses, plant gardens, plan to be here for several generations. It's not going to end quickly. Notice he does not say, live in tents. It'll be a short time. The Lord is going to show up and the Lord is going to give you victory any time now. That's not his message. The reality is they are going to be there a long time. And so the important thing is to move forward, to not get stuck in your grief and wallowing in it. Some people, when they are confronted by grief, they sink, they are paralyzed, they cannot move forward. Some even deny the reality of what has happened, the reality of death, or they make light of it minister was preaching a sermon to the congregation and he was trying to get them to think about their lives and what how they wanted their lives to count and he used this image he said imagine that you have died and that we're having your funeral here in the church and people are coming up and they're looking into the casket at you what are they saying about you when they look in that casket well the next day three members of the church were gathered together for breakfast and commenting about the sermon. What'd you think about what the preacher said yesterday? Yeah, I thought about that all afternoon. And one of them said, yeah, I think that I would want people to come and look into the casket and say, he was a great husband. He was a great father. He was a great family man. He was a good friend. The other one said, yeah, I thought about it. And I think I'd want him to look in the casket and say, he was great in this community. He was a pillar of the community, he made a difference. And they turned to the third one, the third one hesitated and said, I think I'd like to hear one of them look in the casket and say, look, he's moving. <laughs> we tend to treat death at arm's length. We, we make light of it. We deny its reality. But the fact is that death comes into every life we all experience loss and the effects of grief. And we cannot deny. When I was a young minister, my granddaddy came to me and he said, Bud, I want you to do my funeral when I die. And I was young and I was naive and I said, Sure, Papa, I'll be glad to. My granddaddy lived a long and full life and when he died, I was asked to officiate at the funeral, and I, I jotted a few notes on a note card, some stories I wanted to tell on my granddaddy. I was ready to do it. I walked into the church. I stood in the pulpit. I looked out over my family, and a wave of emotion washed over me. And I put that congregation through agony that morning. I could hardly get a word out. Uh, the words were catching in my throat. What I'd done, I look in hindsight, and I'd been repressing my feelings. I'd been pushing them below the surface, not letting them out. And it was a mistake. 
We all have those emotions when we grieve, and the reality is we've got to let them out. Get them out. Let them up. Give them voice. Expression leads to resurrection. Cling to reality. The last observation, Jeremiah invites them to cling to their faith. Pray to the Lord every day. Don't neglect your faith. Just because the temple has been destroyed, just because things are different, don't give up on your faith. It's sort of what Jesus was saying to his disciples that last night in the upper room when they had supper together. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to where I am, so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is inviting us to have a mature faith that sees death in its proper light. I learned a little bit about that when I was in college. I've been continually learning this lesson. Uh, One week we had a lecture It was the entire week, and the person who came to speak was John Claypool. At the time, John was a Baptist preacher. He became an Episcopal priest. And I remember one of the stories he told to this day. John talked about when he was a little boy during World War II. They had a neighbor that was enlisting into uh, the armed services. And he came over and he said, I'm going over to Europe to fight the Nazis. And he said, I'd like for y'all to look after my furniture for me while I'm gone. And they moved the furniture from his house into the Claypool basement. And then he went off to the war. Well, one of the perks of storing this man's furniture was he had a washing machine. The Claypools didn't have a washer. They had been doing everything by hand, but now they had an old Bendix washing machine. The only thing was that the Bendix required for someone to uh, wring out the clothes by hand at the end of the rinse cycle. And that was young John's job. Every Tuesday and Saturday was wash day in the Claypool house. He would venture down into the basement, and at the end of the soap cycle, he would wring out the clothes. 1945 came. The war was over. The neighbor came home. He reclaimed his possessions from the Claypool house. John didn't know that the things had been taken, and he went down on Tuesday night to do his chores, came running back upstairs, called the police. Someone has stolen the washing machine. And his mother pulled him aside and said, John, remember how we got that washer? It was on loan to us. And the wonderful thing is that we were blessed to have use of it for a time. John Claypool helped me understand a little bit about death because life is a gift. It's a gift that's been given to us and another part of the gift is God gives us people with whom to share the gift. It's a gift. 
It's not ours to keep forever. We enjoy the time we have every day and we give God thanks when it comes to an end. And that's what's helped me. I'm trying to learn to live into it. That when I experience loss and the grief begins to settle in, I try to focus not on the grief, but on the gratitude. Not the grief for what I've lost, but the gratitude for what I had for a time. For you see, death is a doorway through which we walk into another chapter of our life. It's a gift. And so Jeremiah says, cling to your faith. That's what we believe. Life is a gift. And even after death, the gift just keeps on giving. One more story. Someone was diagnosed with a terminal illness and asked me if I would walk with them the last few weeks and days of their lives. And I said, yes. And every now and then I would visit with him in his house, talk with him on the phone, and he would share things about his life. He would share how grateful he was for his family, for how grateful he was for the work that he did. And he would share with me aspects of his faith that I think Sometimes only the insights only come when you're close to death. God begins to reveal more to you than you knew before. And he's revealing these things to me. One of the things he says to me is, death is a doorway which, through which we walk into life eternal. And so this part of my life is a chapter, and I'm going to begin another chapter after my death. And he was looking forward to it. He told me that, Bill, there comes a time in all of our lives when death shows up as a welcome friend. I'm still thinking about that one. But life, death shows up as a welcome friend. And then he said these words. Every exit is an entrance into something new. He died. We had the funeral. At the close of the funeral, his casket was taken down the aisle. We got into the narthex. We're heading to the hearse. The pallbearers wanted to know which way to go, and I pointed towards the exit sign. And my friend was preaching to me again. Every exit is an entrance into a new day. And so when our faith in Christ is real, it transforms us. It helps us to still our soul and to understand that the Lord is on our side to bear patiently the cross of grief and pain. And we come to that day when we are with the Lord and it is full of joy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be still, my